Please open your Bibles today to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Today's main scripture text. Today is the fourth and, and final message in our November series, One Another Gospel Impacted Community. Next Sunday, we're going to begin our Christmas series, The Songs of Christmas. Not the songs that we think about at Christmas time, the carols that we love and enjoy to sing. We're going to look at four songs, the songs of Christmas that are embedded in the scripture that I trust and pray will encourage you and bless your heart and draw you um, to Jesus in a much deeper and profound, personal, life-changing way. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your sweet presence in our midst. We thank you for all your provision, the abundance that you have graced us with. We thank you for your word, the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit today that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, he writes, For you, brethren, have been called to freedom. Only do not use freedom, liberty, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law was fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is a defining portion of Scripture on how we understand freedom in the life of a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and how we are called to use this new freedom as an opportunity to serve one another through love. What a privilege. What an honor. To serve one another through love. Love. Now, freedom in our culture has become misinterpreted and misrepresented in so many different ways, even in the evangelical church and certainly in the more liberal-leaning church world. And people in our culture want freedom. They demand freedom. They want to be free to think what they want and do what they want. And they want to take away your free speech if you share with them that what they want to do is sinful and hurtful to society. It isn't that you would really prevent them from exercising what they see as their freedoms, but nonetheless, they want to be free from any other point of view that doesn't align with theirs. In fact, this freedom is escalating to such a degree that legislation has been written to restrict certain language, freedom of speech. And we're going to see this more and more as the coming of Christ draws closer. They want the freedom to feel comfortable about their sin. We're living in a world that demands total freedom. They not only want what they want, they want it to be tolerated and celebrated. They want it to be validated as a means by which they can eliminate the natural guilt that is built into, into our being since we've been created in the image and likeness of God, and they want it to be propagated, and they want it to be normalized. We're seeing this progression today in our culture. And it is certainly escalating to new heights, but it isn't anything new 
at all. If you go back 3,000 years ago, you have a society of people doing exactly this. And it is the Israelites in the day of the judges. And it says in Judges 17.6, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the kind of time we, we live in today. Now, in order to do that, in order to accomplish that, you must make sure that you get the Bible out of the way because the Bible, God's word, brings accountability. The Bible reveals to us what is right before God, what is wrong before God, how to get right before God, and how to stay right with God. So there must be a rejection of the Bible. There must be a rejection of the word of God, God's truth, and the role that God's truth plays in our culture. You need to get the Bible out of the schools. You must get the Bible out of the public discourse because if people bring up the Bible, it's going to encroach upon someone's freedom. And if someone quotes from the Bible, they're going to be saying something that somebody doesn't want to to hear, and that should be considered offensive in an attack on someone's freedom. Culture wants to silence the Bible. Culture wants to silence God. Culture wants to put a lid on God's absolute truth. Culture wants to be free from all moral restraint. Let me tell you what this freedom is, what this freedom really is. It is not freedom. It is slavery to sin. It's bondage. Sin is their master. All human beings apart from the gospel and salvation in Christ are slaves to sin, are in bondage. These people are not walking free. They're walking in bondage. Jesus said in John 8, 34, we sang about it just a moment ago, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Two verses later in John 8, 36, it says, therefore if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. We sang that moments ago. Only if Christ sets you free, are you free? Are you really free? So what people in our culture think is freedom is really slavery to sin. It's bondage. It's not freedom. It's destructive. Twice in Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul declares that believers are now free. In Galatians 5.1, he writes, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, freedom by which Christ has made us free. And in Galatians 5.13a, he writes, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You have been called to freedom. Here's what every believer is free from. We are free from the guilt of sin. Thank God. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, the law's condemnation of sin, the bondage of trying to please God through religious ceremonies and the keeping of the law. Here's what every believer is not free from. We are not free from the presence of sin. The presence of sin still exists. The pull of the flesh We all know the pull of the flesh, don't we, church? If we're honest with ourselves, we all know the pull of the flesh. We are not free from the presence of sin. We're not free from the pull of the flesh and the moral law of God. 
The flesh is the sinful nature. The Greek term used in our text does not refer to our literal, physical flesh and bones. It does in some other passages, but not here. Here in Galatians 5.13, it refers to our fallen human nature that all of us inherited from our big brother, Adam. One writer defines the flesh as the inner desire for selfish gratification at the expense of, of God and others. That's a good definition because it focuses on the selfishness of the flesh. My flesh is selfish. I don't know about your flesh, but I know my flesh is selfish. There is something in all of us that says, go ahead. Go ahead. You deserve this. You've earned it. No one can stop you. It is the flesh that pulls us towards disobedience, pride, anger, lust, hatred, bitterness, violence, cheating, adultery, malice, envy, greed, and every other sin we can think of. In ancient church history, there is a word. In fact, I'm going to put it up on the screen. Antinomian. Antinomian. Theologically, it is the belief that there are no moral laws God expects Christians to obey. Since Christ fulfilled the Old Testament law when he died on the cross for us, we don't have to pay attention to it. It's a false teaching that teaches salvation by grace means that you are free to do whatever you like whenever you like. Maybe you know some folks who call themselves Christians. This is their way of thought. This is their way of, of thinking. The apostle Paul dealt with this false teaching in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, he writes. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? They believe since Jesus' righteousness has been imputed to our account, we don't have to worry about what we do. We're free. We're free to do whatever we want to do. God's grace is licensed to sin, to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. But true Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. That thinking is not the result of true conversion because true conversion has a greater desire. Hear this, church. True conversion has a greater desire to obey the Lord, not a lesser one. The truth is there's a moral law God expects us to obey as Christ followers. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. What is this law God expects us to obey? It is the law of Christ. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God, Jesus said, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the law of Christ. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. No, no. 
We're not under the Old Testament law. Thank God or we'll all be stoned to death. But yes, we are under the law of Christ. It is not an extension, an extensive list of, of legal codes you must do to obtain and maintain your personal salvation. It is a law of love. If we love God with all of our heart, if we love God with all of our soul, mind, and strength, we will do nothing to dishonor him and defame his holy name. If we love our neighbor as ourselves, we'll do nothing to harm them. Well, there's the answer to society's woes. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. If we all did that, what a, what a community we would live in. What a, what a country we would live in. What a world we would live in. But unfortunately, that's not the reality, is it, church? The world's in need of a savior, and that savior is Jesus Christ. Obeying the law of Christ is not a requirement to earn or maintain salvation, but the law of Christ is what God expects of, Christ, of, of every Christ follower, of every born-again Christian. You see, without clear expectations, there is no accountability, and where there is no accountability, there is no quality of the Christian way of life, no quality of one another. The Bible is clear. God expects us to live a life of morality, a life of integrity, and, and a life of love. Antinomium is a strain of false teaching that has recurred in every generation and is widely held in churches today. In fact, some church denominations embrace and celebrate certain lifestyles that God's word clearly calls sin. Homosexuality and same-sex marriage are, are prime pre prevalent examples today in the culture and world that we, we live in. But according to this false teaching, erroneous teaching, salvation by grace means that you are free to do whatever you like, whenever you like. That is, <coughs> that's erroneous. Grace doesn't preach that. Grace doesn't teach that. And the Contemporary Christian church is a very um, carefully constructed method to, to church ministry today to try and, and win the world over. And, and that demands that we not confront their true sinful condition. You can't preach biblical truth that confronts judges and condemns sin in fear of making someone uncomfortable. That's a reality today in, in the contemporary church. You can't take their freedom away. You can't confront their freedom. They say freedom and fun must be reinstated into our faith and worship experience. So the programming of the whole, the planning, the programming of the whole worship experience is centered around the world and not the word of God. It is man-centered and not Christ-centered. It's about pleasing the world and not the word that became flesh and lived among us. This is not the freedom Paul had in mind here in Galatians chapter 5. It's convenient theology because you can claim to be a Christian and yet ignore the moral teachings of the Bible. It says accept Christ and then live as you like. 
The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.13, for you, brethren, have been called to freedom, liberty. Only do not use liberty, freedom, as an opportunity for the flesh. Other Bible translations say to indulge the flesh. To indulge the flesh is to live in slavery, bondage to the flesh. Biblical freedom is never freedom to sin. It's freedom from sin. Can I hear a big amen? The Apostle Paul He writes this letter to Titus in in chapter 2 of the book of Titus, the New Testament book of Titus, one of of Paul's epistles, prison epistles. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Paul is talking about Christ, the first coming of Christ. We're in the midst now of the, the Christmas season or the beginning of the Christmas season. And the apostle Paul here is talking about the first coming of Christ. Christ has appeared, Paul says, to all men first in the manger. And he revealed himself to all men as he hung on the cross and gave his life so that we might be made right and receive by faith this wonderful gift of eternal life I'm so grateful for. Titus 2.12 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, self-controlled life, righteously and godly in this present age. Like God, godly in this present age. God's grace God's grace brings salvation according to Titus 2.11. Instructs us. Grace becomes our teacher according to Titus 2.12. Teaching us. The reason grace saves us, the reason grace instructs us is revealed in Titus 2.14. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Zealous for Good works. Your freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin. My freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin. Hear this this morning. Your freedom in Christ is freedom for the very first time to do good works. Let me say that again. Your freedom in Christ is freedom for the very first time to do good works, not to obtain and maintain forgiveness, but to celebrate the freedom your forgiveness in Christ has given you. I like to say that again. Your freedom in Christ is freedom for the very first time to do good works, not to obtain and maintain forgiveness, but to celebrate the freedom your forgiveness in Christ has given you. We do good works not out of duty, but out of delight, joy, celebrating the freedom our forgiveness in Christ has given us. Can I hear a big Praise the Lord. You are no longer a slave to sin. Pat Medeiros is no longer a slave to sin. Do we sin? Yes. But he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sin. 1 John 1, 9. In fact, in, in, that, in 1 John, it says, if we say we do not sin, we're a liar, and the truth is not in us. We do, don't we, church? 
We do sin. But our heart's desire is not to sin. That's my heart's desire. And I know that's your heart's desire. We have a strong craving, a strong craving desire to do what is right and pleasing in God's grace or God's sight. And that's what grace does. Grace puts this, this strong craving to please God in our hearts. It's not, it's not something that we in our own strength crave. God's grace put it there when he saved us. When he filled us with his spirit, grace placed a strong desire deep in our being to please, to live in a way that pleases the Lord. I'm so grateful for God's grace. God's grace doesn't just save Pat Medeiros. God's grace right now is sanctifying Pat Medeiros. And God is sanctifying Pat Medeiros tomorrow. And on Tuesday, and until Jesus comes. We are free, Paul says in Galatians 3.13, from the law's curse. He writes, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. According to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, you break one of God's laws one time, you're under a divine curse. I'm so grateful that we've been free from the law. James adds that if you break one part of the law, you've broken all of it. Oh, what a heavy load. What a heavy load to carry. A load of guilt and condemnation 24-7. How oppressive. But Christ has freed us from the law's curse, church. But Christ has freed us from the law's curse. We are free from the law's condemnation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the apostle Paul declares, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And Paul is saying that we're free from the Old Testament ceremonies that were designed for Israel. We're free from the law's curse. We're free from the law's condemnation. We're free from the bondage of the law to try and find freedom that's only available through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Certain Jews had come to Galatia to try to impose the religious system of the law on the backs of the Gentile believers. But the apostle Paul told the believers in Galatia, in Christ you're free from the laws, from the law, from the curse of the law, the condemnation of the law, and the bondage of the law. But you're not free from the holy standards of God's moral law. Amen. Praise God. First Peter chapter 1. Man's technology can't handle the anointing of the Holy Spirit. First Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 16 says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Self-control. And rest your hope fully upon the grace. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Christ's second coming. How many are looking for the second coming of Christ? How many are anticipating? You're excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do we live that way? 
As obedient children, he goes on to write, not conforming yourselves to the former loss as, as in your ignorance before you knew God's truth. But as he who called you, saved you, is holy, you also be holy, be like him in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Church, we're free from sin to serve. To serve God and to serve one another. The apostle Paul writes, but through love in verse 13 of our text, serve one another. Galatians 5.14 says, for, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's a big truth. There's a better way than using your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. There's a better way than using your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh. There's a better way than indulging your flesh than being self-serving. Paul calls it serving one another in love. But there is an irony in Paul's instruction. The word serve comes from a Greek word that means to be a slave. A slave. Paul's talking about freedom. But he uses a word, a Greek word, that means to be a slave. We are set free from our slavery to sin by the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Having been set free, we are called by the Lord to become slaves to one another in love for Christ's sake. Now, there's a couple of things to understand. Slaves were submissive to their master. We're called by God to submit to one another, Ephesians 5, submitting to one another out of the fear of God. Now, that passage is often used for marriage, but it's not isolated It's not isolated to the marriage relationship. It speaks to one another. We're called to submit to one another. Slaves were dependent on their master for the provision of the basic necessities of life. We're called to share with one another. Hebrews 13, 16 says, but do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I'm so grateful that Clara shared her sweet potato pie with me on Thursday. And boy, was it sweet, sweet, sweet. Mm -hmm. I have a piece waiting for me when I get home. Thank you for sharing. Slaves were personally accountable to their master. You're called to be accountable. We're called to be accountable to one another. It's all embedded throughout the the word of God. Paul's emphasis on love is all important because it is not law on the outside, but love on the inside that makes the difference, church. Here is where these Jews made their mistake. They thought the only way to change human behavior was through a system of external laws. Much hasn't changed today. But laws can never change the human heart. When Christ comes in, he changes everything from the inside out. I love Romans 5.5. The love of God has been poured 
out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, biblical love says, I will go out beyond myself to take care of you and your needs and I will reach beyond myself. I will reach beyond myself. Someone has defined narcissism as the inability to commit to anything beyond yourself. Now, I don't think that defines anyone here today. True love sees the need and then moves to meet the need, even at great personal cost. And Jesus is a perfect example. The cross is a perfect example. It was love that motivated God to send his son to the earth. For God so loved the world. God saw our need. He saw that we were slaves to sin. He sent his son to free us. We are free from our servitude of sin so that we can serve Jesus Christ by serving one another. And I'm so grateful that I'm free. I'm free indeed. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. First Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Serve one another. That Greek word for minister uh, means to serve. Minister, serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 20, verses 27 and 28, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh, there's just so much there we can expound on. Jesus, the Son of God, the Most High King, Lord of Lords, never placed himself in a position above others. He led by serving, and he loved by serving. He washed feet, the lowest position anyone could take. In that time, that culture, that society, he fed thousands. He walked miles to visit and heal the sick. He stopped to touch and heal a sick woman. He spent time with those no one else cared to spend time with. You see, Jesus showed us that serving others and humility go hand in hand. Serving others is not always without pain, without cost. Quite often it can be messy. No task was ever beneath Jesus, and no person was ever unworthy of his touch. To be a servant means we truly care about people. To be a servant truly means we care about people. It's keeping our eyes, our hearts, our schedules open for divine appointments. The need becomes the call. Freedom leads in two directions. We can either use our freedom as an excuse to sin or we can use our freedom as an encouragement to serve one another. 
I want to close by giving you some practical things to do. If you're struggling to love someone, or maybe someone has a problem with you, pray and ask God for ways to serve them through love. Oh, but pastor, that's hard. Then it's right. Then it's right. If it's hard, then it's right. If you're struggling with a reoccurring sin, pray and ask God for ways to serve someone. Serving others takes the focus off of you. You want to have victory over that sin? Serve one another. Serve others. Stop serving yourself. Christ has set you free. Maybe you're here and you're waiting for someone to meet a need you personally have. Pray and ask God for ways that you can serve someone who's in need. And your need will be met. Your greater need. I encourage you to pray. And ask the Lord who you can serve in our precious church family. Maybe it's helping someone rake their leaves. Maybe it's going shopping for someone. Maybe it's helping a young mother with her children. Maybe it's doing some home repairs for one of our seasoned saints. Maybe it's helping someone clean their house. Maybe it's sitting with someone at a doctor's appointment. Maybe it's driving someone to church. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe. We're called to serve one another through love. Church, that's gospel impact the community. Gospel impact the community is one another minded. I'm so thankful for this gospel community that God has graced my life with. I love you. I love you. And I love serving you. This Christmas season and beyond, let's look for ways to outserve each other for the glory of the Lord and the edifying of the body of Christ. Would you join me standing?